Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Speaking of listening, for our more savvy listeners and followers of the podcast, you can probably tell that the audio is a little bit different than what it typically is. Why is that? We would only do that for a special reason. That's because we have a special guest, Saturday Traditions' own Mr. Dustin Schutte. Dustin Schutte, welcome to the pod. Thank you, guys. Uh, Jeff and Gert and Kurt, if I could pronounce your names correctly. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to be on this <clears throat> on this podcast. I love doing it. You guys do a great job, and um, it's just going to be a lot of fun today. I I believe so too. I think this is. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this uh, as we record on a Thursday night. Couple, uh, you know, drinks in front of us. Uh, uh, so I will go over a quick outline of the podcast. We got a couple fun things for you guys. We think. Uh, number one, we'll go through a, a couple housekeeping items. We've had some fun stuff uh, break loose on the interwebs the last uh, day or so. Uh, then we will do a, we're going to have a kind of a ranking podcast. So the first ranking was a great idea by Big Kurt. It's going to be a ranking of good, bad movies, as you can kind of imagine. Movies that are, you know, critically not acclaimed, uh, but still fan <laughs> fan favorites. And then we're going to get into what I think is my favorite podcast of the entire year, the Big Ten Coaching Rankings. Last year, it was just Kurt and I. We thought it would be a lot better idea to have, instead of a two-vote tally system, have a three-person tallied system. So uh, Dustin's votes will be on with ours. So very much looking forward to that. Um, So first off, Kurt, housekeeping's your baby. What do you got, buddy? Yeah, we got a couple items here. So uh, in the last day or so, we had an Ohio State data dump, essentially Freedom of Information Act released a bunch of text messages, emails, it, communications, et cetera, from Ohio State. And not just Ohio State, there's a, a, a bunch of other stuff that has come out from other uh, programs within the Big Ten. And this is all related to playing football last year and administrators, 80s coaches talking back and forth players uh players parents talking about trying to play football and basically fighting against kevin warren to get it done so um i guess for me personally i want to know dustin shooty's take on this well first of all i don't think gene smith could have ran faster to his door to deliver those papers and release that information because I'm sure he wanted to know, wanted everybody to know just how badly he wanted to play his president, his coaching staff, players, parents wanted to play. So I think that that was probably the quickest Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act turnover in maybe the history of college football. That's number one. Uh, number two is, I thought this was interesting. It, you'll remember that as soon as Nebraska said that they were going to look to play last season when the Big Ten canceled, Gene Smith in those text messages, emails said, Nebraska's going to go try to play independent. We're going to basically follow them. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, giving you the cliff notes version of that. But on ESPN and some of these other networks, Nebraska got, you know, basically hung out to dry as this program that was not against or wanted to leave the Big Ten, um, was outside their place, all this stuff. Uh, And basically, you know, they kind of – 
they ran so Ohio State could walk, right? They did all the dirty work. They said, hey, we're going to take this avenue. And Gene Smith was like, hey, they got a pretty good idea. So, you know, there are just a lot of players. I'd like to see some of these other schools release some of this information. Mainly Iowa, I think, was the other big player involved in this. That was another school that didn't back down in terms of wanting to play. Um, but you had Jeff Brom, who jumped out immediately and 48 hours later had, you know, a better idea or at least some idea than anything the Big Ten had produced. Um, it was just, it's crazy, but I think that Gene Smith, like I said, couldn't wait to get that information out there because he wanted everybody to know, look, we did, and we all knew Ohio state did everything they could, but this was in writing and boy, it's, it looks really bad on the, the commissioner or the commissioners, the, um, the commissioner himself, Kevin Warren, and then the presidents and chancellors who tried to fight this having a season. One of the things that struck me was as the Ohio State data was coming out, you started seeing a bunch of other um, uh, information from other schools. Pretty much every school had their own plan of here's how we're going to get this done. I mean, I thought as an Illinois fan, I I looked at Illinois and thought they were just sitting back and just letting whatever was going to happen, happen. No, uh, athletic director Josh Whitman, he had his own plan for playing. Rutgers had a plan. I mean, you name it. Everyone, it seems like every single institution was really fighting to get this done. Yeah, um, the two things that I keep thinking about is, uh, number one, since, since this uh, podcast has kind of a movie theme, a movie that I love is The Departed. And I don't know if you remember, but Alec Baldwin's character, he's like a detective and they could legally spy on some people because of the uh, the Freedom of Information Act. He's like, hot damn, I love that Freedom of Information Act. Like he says that in the movie and it makes me laugh every time. Uh, but it's weird that we're using the same thing to spy on potential, you know, uh, uh, criminals in that movie. And, and, and now we're we're letting out, you know, stuff for for college football, for Big Ten football. It's ridiculous. The other side of it, too, is, I, you know, if you look at a conference as a family, right, you've got the the family members that are, you know, like a, we're talking like a big, you know, important like political family or something like think the Kennedys or th- something like that. Right. And you got like the the older, wiser, most important people in the uh, family. Uh, that's Ohio State. Right. They carry the biggest stick. And then you had somebody that married into the family late that's kind of a wingnut, and that's Nebraska, right? So they don't have as much they don't have as much correlation and history with the family, but they were the first ones to say, screw it, this is a bad, you know, political move. We're not doing this. This is dumb. And then the the senior people of the family are like, you know what? Crazy John, you know, the new brother-in-law has a point. And then that got it going. I mean, what I have always tried to say all along for this was um, Nebraska was definitely a huge player, but it doesn't get done until Ohio State and Gene Smith come in and, and wreck shop. And finally, that's what happened. Iowa helped. We found out Illinois helped. Penn State was there as well. Uh, and then the one thing I would say is I can pretty much guarantee you, I would say at least 12 if not 13 or 14 of the of the coaches, the Big Ten football coaches, I guarantee they wanted to play football, but it, it had to get up to the 80s and, and, and president level. You know, it's a great example, Ohio State basically saying, and Nebraska, look, we're just going to go out on our own. What are you going to do about it? 
And it's just a great reminder that, you know, the institutions, they're the ones, they, they actually have the power, whether they believe it or not, whether they know it or not. There's a commissioner, but he works for the Big Ten Conference, there is, not the other way around. There is a commissioner? His name is Barry Alvarez. Perhaps you've heard of him. Yeah. Well, and then, that can't, I mean, we, we just talked about it on the last podcast. This is even more proof, per, I mean, not to bat, pat ourselves on the back, um, Dustin, I'm, I'm, you know, interested in your take, but we just talked about how there's a complete lack of trust and even desire to work with K-Dub with the coaches and ADs. I, I, and that's why Barry is in this role. I think this, this info dump just proves that even more. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, that's a hundred percent. I sent out a tweet, like the year's going to be 2,148 and Barry Alvarez is still going to have some sort of role with the big 10. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody wants to work with Kevin Warren. And, and the interesting thing about him was after that fiasco with the football season, the basketball coaches were making similar complaints. Like there's no open lines of communication. We don't know what the schedule is going to look like. It's like, you didn't even learn a little bit. I mean, I think we would have. I'm not saying we would have given him a free pass, but if he had learned and the basketball season got off smoothly and we didn't have those issues, I think we would have said, okay, he was thrown into this fire. He didn't really know what to do. We'll give him another year. We'll give him another chance. But you didn't learn anything from that uh, fiasco that you had on your hands. So I agree. I think that this is going to be – Barry's going to be a nice liaison. He's like he's like your grandpa, right? Like he's the guy everybody can go to and he's like, I'll, I'll handle this. I'll fix it. I'll take care of him. I'll be in his ear. Uh, I just, I think he's going to be in a way running the conference because everybody's so frustrated with Kevin Warren. The other thing I wanted to point out too is, is, is there any doubt now after some of these messages have been released that this was a power move by the presidents and, and chancellors, at least a majority of them saying, Hey, we know football ran the show, but when it comes to science, when it comes to, making a decision for student athletes and health and safety. We're smarter than anybody else. This is why we're, we're going to be the first to cancel. I mean, that's been my thought since the very beginning, but when you have no science behind it, when you have a, a president like Mark Schlitzel at, at Michigan, right. Hiding underneath his desk throughout the duration of this whole process, not giving any answers to Jim Harbaugh, not returning texts, not, not talking with the players. Like it's just, to me, there's always been this disconnect between presidents and football coaches because you know, they make football coaches make eight times, 10 times the salary of a president. And I think that this was an opportunity for Big Ten presidents to say, you know what, we're going to put you in your place. We're going to make this decision, not you. And I think that if you read, you know, if you go in depth on some of those um, Information Act emails and text messages, I think that's what you start to see. And that that's really disheartening that you have those kind of people running 10 or 11 of these universities. Yep. Um Famous man once said he he calls them the bow ties. Yep, the people the in ties. charge at the university. A good listener of the show, you know who you are. Um, you know so what, circuit, what, what? One more thing, real quick, because um, that's that's Jim in Minnesota. Let's call it. There's Jim the, in Minnesota. Yeah, the funny <laughs> thing is, is he also talked about. Uh, we we talked about this with with K Dub. Like this is the best analogy I can come up with. You guys know I love analogies, but. Let's say somebody, you know, takes over Apple. I would think the biggest Apple, uh, you know, product line is the, their phones, the iPhones. I would think that's the biggest thing. It's like somebody taking over Apple, but they can't handle the iPhone part. It's like if, if you take K-Dub takes over the Big Ten, but he has to pass off football to somebody. It, it's insane. You're, you're not really leading the company if you can't do that. Um, the other thing that I took away was just the. 
the text back and forth between the quote unquote, you know, leaders, they, they sound just like us. They, they they don't sound like these like prolific leaders of men or whatever. They got misspelled words in their text. They're kind of like incom like I, that was another thing I took away. The, we're we're all being led by I don't know. No nobody more any more intelligent than a lot of my friends and people that I hang out with. And then yeah, the last thing, the last the most polished communications. I've right, ever seen. right. <laughs> and then the last thing uh, that I, I was laughing when Dustin was saying, you know, Barry's like grandpa, which then reminded made me think of when he was caught on video up in the press box like two years ago when, when his his own grandson wanted to come up and talk to him during the game and he shushed him <laughs> away like. <laughs> That's who we, that's the grandpa we got running the league now. So anyway. Okay, not to belabor the topic too much, but I did want to circle back to something Dustin said about uh, Kevin Warren just not learning. And you, you go back to the basketball season and you have, you know, a pretty controversial season in a lot of respects because you have different teams playing different numbers of games. You have Illinois with the most wins in the conference, but then you got Michigan with the best winning percentage. And everyone's like, well, who's the champion? And okay, maybe they laid it down, but come out and just say something. Just tell us. Like you've got a, you've got a free, uh, 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 platform. Big Ten Network. Just go on Big Ten. You can go anytime you want. Okay, here's what's here's what we're doing. Boom, done. But but then you, you he literally never came out and said anything. I don't think. And it's an it's another chance for him to be filmed inside his office with all of his awards and pictures of himself in the background, which I'm convinced the only thing K Dub has accomplished so far is decorating the office in the the shrine of K Dub behind him. Okay, well, I think we've um, <laughs> we've beaten that horse enough. So <laughs> let's let's move on to I don't know file this under. Uh, peculiarities, but Oklahoma University, the vice president and athletics director, Joe Castiglione, which by the way, if you're going to be an AD, that's some AD name, isn't it? Fantastic. Joe Castiglione, sign me up for that one. You're either running, you're either running that or, or, or a deli, deli market somewhere. (laughs) So he came up, they came up with a statement. This is very strange. And I quote, we are bitterly disappointed that the great Oklahoma-Nebraska rivalry on the 50th anniversary of the game of the century will kick off at 11 a.m. We tried every possible avenue to proactively make our case. Big 12 Conference supported our strenuous efforts, blah, blah, blah. However, in the end, our TV partner chose to exercise its full contractual rights and denied our request. Is it just me or is this the strangest announcement you've ever heard? I don't I don't think it's strange. And this is I mean, it's strange for him to come out and say that. But I think what he's doing is a little bit of damage control here. I'm guessing there are a lot of Oklahoma fans that are saying, why isn't this game kicking off at seven or eight p.m.? Why isn't this going to be a primetime game on you know, ESPN, ABC, whatever the case might be? This is the, the anniversary, 50th anniversary of the, the game of the century. I think it's just to say, you know what? We tried. We wanted this game at primetime, but we have no. We have no say so in this. We have no control over it. So it's it's weird the way he phrased it, but I think that it's purely a damage control situation. I just think he wants to get out in front of this and say, hey, you know what? I know you're disappointed. We tried everything we could, but we really have no control over this. Um, and, and look, Fox Big Noon Kickoff gets a ton of eyeballs. 
uh, that model has worked. ESPN and ABC have taken have taken the, the primetime route, the seven, eight o'clock kickoff. Fox has filled in that noon slot with a big primetime game. There's going to be a lot of attention, I think, on that game more so than if that game kicked off at seven or eight. Because let's face it, you know, people aren't watching Oklahoma, Nebraska as much because it's not the same. It doesn't have the same cachet. So I think it's a great spot, but I think that this was ultimately you don't have any you want to explain to your fans why this isn't going to be a primetime kickoff. And I think that's all he was trying to say. 100 percent. Yeah. And and you already saw it yesterday. Fox Sports uh, put a tweet out that listed out the first month of the the season with their big noon kickoffs. Those games are phenomenal. Um, they And then, like I saw somebody else point out, they are going to start, you know, promoting those on NFL Fox games starting like middle of you know early September. I, I understand that there's some, you know, frustrated Oklahoma fans, but I don't know. I love me an 11 a.m. slash noon kickoff. They're they're fantastic. It gets your college football Saturday going. So I, I get some of the trepidation, but at the same time, like, you know, th- that that's a great spot to be in. The one thing I would add to that is I think most of the frustration, I think nobody cares if you're watching the game at home. You probably don't care what time the game kicks off. I think this more has to do with tailgating and people saying we have to get there and, and tailgate. We're, we're eating. I mean, I have no problem with biscuits and gravy for a tailgate, but I'm sure there's some people that would like to indulge in a few adult beverages before kickoff, maybe get a three thirty seven o'clock. So I, I'm guessing this is more frustrated by the season ticket holders, the people who plan to go to the game than, than anybody watching on TV. Because if I if I'm a fan, I like watching my team kick off at noon. Then I have the rest of the day to just enjoy a, a, a stress-free college football Saturday. Go ugly early, baby. I mean, if you're not buzzed by 9.30 a.m. at my tailgate spot, you're not even really tailgating. So suck it up, Oklahoma fans. Well, regardless of kickoff time, I will be watching that with images of Jerry Tagge and Jack Mildren dancing in my head. Wow. Maybe a little Johnny Rogers here and there sprinkled in. I just don't have that much of memory of the old school games. I think I think I was they just kind of missed me. Dustin was I don't even know if he's in diapers yet. So <laughs> okay, well that wraps up housekeeping. All right, that'll move us into uh, this is this is Kurt's baby, so I will let him set it up. But this is the the good bad movie list. We are each we were each tasked with doing five movies. Right, go ahead, Kurt. Yeah, so I'll try to explain this as best I can. Um, it's a little bit of a, a vague um, genre, I suppose, but it's movies that they intend to be good, but they're really bad, but somehow they're awesome at the same time. And this is not a movie that's in my top five, but it's definitely a movie that qualifies. I'm just going to give an example. Top Gun. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Let's be honest. It's the stupidest movie ever made. But it's freaking awesome, right? Everyone loves Top Gun. I mean, you've got this hot, blonde, 25-year-old teaching these naval pilots how to fly an F-14. Are you kidding me? She was giving a civilian point of view, Kurt. I mean, we were inverted. Like, greatest movie line maybe ever. So that's hopefully that kind of paints a picture for the listeners at home. Like, gives a good example. Like, sure, we're trying to make a great movie. It sucks, but you still love it, and you know you love it, so you're going to watch it a hundred times. Um, 
I, I got to think we're going to have a couple like me going third. I think I think my number one is going to be on everybody's list. And then the other side of I would say this, too, is watching these movies like when you're 14 and then you watch them again when you're, say, 34 and you're like, oh, gosh, that's that's not good. And that's Correct. always kind of a fun exercise. And maybe that's a great way to explain it, like movies that a 15 or 14 year old teenage boy would love. So it's it's probably my favorite genre of film. I'll just go ahead and say that. Nice. nice. Okay, so how do we want to get this rolling? Do, you, do I just go with my list first? Go for it, baby. Okay. At number five, barely making the list, is They Live. Oh. Roddy, Roddy Piper. You ever seen this one? Phenomenal. It's like deep state stuff. Um, there's aliens living on the planet, controlling the planet. You can only see them and know who they are if you put these stupid sunglasses on, but they give you a headache. Maybe the greatest fight scene greatest. in the history of cinema between Hands down. Rowdy Roddy and the guy who's trying to get to wear the glasses. Put the damn glasses on and they've beaten the crap out of each other. That comes in at number five for me. I remember watching that as a kid with my brother and my dad, and we were like looking at each other. This is awesome. Um, okay. The other dude, the other dude is Keith David, one of the most yes. underrated actors. I've actually tweeted him because I like him so much. And then it also produced one of the greatest quotes of all time. I came here to chew some bubble gum and kick some ass, and I am all out of bubble gum. And the way that Rowdy Roddy delivers that line, like it's it's Seinfeld esque, right? It's very, it's got a very Jerry Seinfeld on the show Seinfeld feel to it. God, okay, we're, so we're going to record for two hours on this topic. This is, I know. We're in, we're so, in so much trouble. So coming in at number four for me, this is probably going to be unexpected, but Tron Legacy, the, the Tron reboot that was like 2010-ish. Uh, what is the plot? I have no idea. I've watched it 300 times. I still don't know what's happening in the movie, but the visual presentation of that movie to me is is the best in cinema history i'm not exaggerating the visual lines the the light the and by the way the chicks in their tight outfits amazing best looking movie i've ever seen okay coming in at number three everybody should have this in their list i hope somewhere rocky four i mean training montage the awful speech at the end that's really all you need to say it's like the greatest scene and the worst scene in cinematic history together in the same movie. Can we all agree on that? If you can change, I can change. We all can change. Okay, coming at number two, a 1980 vehicle featuring Sam Jones, Timothy Dalton, Flash Gordon. Have you guys seen this one? So Fine. I almost didn't put this on my list, and here's the reason. It's campy. It's supposed to be campy. Right. It's supposed to be stupid, but it's just so stupid I had to include it. And I've also seen this movie about 300 times, and I will say Ornella Muti is probably the most gorgeous human being to ever live on this planet. Wow. And she plays the the princess, the okay. the the daughter of um, Ming the Merciless. And, and she seduces Flash Gordon. Oh, man, fantastic. Okay, so moving on. To my number one and clear best bad movie of all time is Point Break. Catherine Bigelow directed this one. So here's a little, here's some fun facts about Point Break. Originally going to be directed by James Cameron. He 
handed the 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 project over to his eventual wife, Catherine Bigelow, to direct. So think about this movie. It's one of the most macho movies ever made, right? It's these these adrenaline-seeking junkies, surfers, robbing banks, guns, you name it, football, Johnny Utah, Ohio State, Rose Bowl, all that stuff. That was directed by a woman. Think about how great that is. And clearly she deserved the Academy Award for Best Director for this film. They actually retroactively gave it to her for Hurt Locker years later, which I think is like a, it's an essentially like a makeup call in a football game. Like we missed it the first time. Nice. Okay, we're going to give it to you a second time around. He, she's the one. So Daryl Hannah was supposed to play the female lead. That's what James Cameron, who he had cast. And Catherine's like, no, no, no. This has to be a tomboy. We're going to Lori Petty. Here's, here's a little more trivia for you. Johnny Depp, Matthew Broderick, Charlie Sheen, all considered for the role of Johnny Utah. And she goes with, you know, at the time, a pretty young, um, what's his name? Uh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. There you go. Whoa. Which was, Whoa. I mean, the greatest bad actor probably ever, right? Yeah, he. we should have maybe named this the Keanu list. Yeah, so that's my there's my top five. I did want to give a shout out to Plan Nine from Outer Space by Ed Wood. I've still never seen the film. It's considered um, in this genre the worst movie ever made, and it got a couple mentions on Seinfeld over the years. So that's my next project is to watch Plan Nine from Outer Space. Okay. First of all, I agree with your. I have Point Break as my number one too, and maybe perhaps Matthew Broderick. This might have been like all-time worst or best worst movie like i can't imagine a worse actor for that role than matthew broderick but um i agree with you i mean can you imagine him as a, a rose bowl winning quarterback <laughs> he would have been like that guy. i don't even know if it's like blue mountain state or whatever it is where that guy is throwing the awkward pass he would like i would imagine him as the quarterback well, you want to hear you want to hear something funny here. Listen to Rick Neuheisel talk about he was the technical like he was the football coach for that movie. Look up him talking about trying to coach Keanu Reeves to throw a football because he had never thrown a football in his life. <laughs> He's Canadian. Sure. Like he grew up playing hockey. He didn't, he didn't no. play football. And I know listeners cannot see, but for a majority of Kurt's list there, I had my hands in my face because I have not watched four of those movies i don't wow. think i've heard of three of them Dude, um, do so me a this, favor watch if you haven't watched they live you got it you got to dial that one up this weekend I've, got, I've now got it in my notes here on this little page of notes i'm keeping here things i learned on the eyes on big podcast um <laughs> and and you guys feel free to make fun of me i feel like i redeemed myself with the top two here but this my list is terrible i mean this is just embarrassing well What's good is you're you're like a whole decade younger than us, almost or pretty close, whatever. So your your list should look different than ours. So for number five, sticking with the the Keanu Reeves theme here, is I went with The Matrix, and maybe it's because I don't understand it, but I just watched that movie. Like I've never even really gone back and watched it. I tried to figure out what it was about. I just get confused about it. Um, so that was my number five. Moved up to number four. And I think that this is just tugging on the heartstrings here a little bit is, and I think hopefully Greg can appreciate this is Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull. Um, it's a terrible movie, but because the other Indiana Jones movies were so great, yeah. I watched even if it's, you know, when it's on, no matter I own it, 
Um, I bitched about it in theaters constantly when I was watching it, like just constantly saying how terrible it was and what. But then when you go back and you watch the Indiana Jones, the original trilogy, it's like this whole thing, this whole series was equally ridiculous. <laughs> it was. So that, so it's basically, I think I read somewhere it's called the, the uh, refrigerator paradox where when he survived the nuclear b- blast in the refrigerator, like this is the dumbest thing ever. And then you go back and watch the movies and you're like, no, none of none of this should have had. He shouldn't have been able to do any of this. So then, like to a certain degree, it retroactively ruined my thought process on the movies a little bit. But I I still love the first three immensely, and I'm with you with this with this one being on the list. What one of my favorite scenes in movie history is it's in Raiders of the Lost Ark where that ninja's bringing out all the you know swords and, and has this <laughs> he's gonna whoop Indiana Jones and then he just pulls out the pistol and shoots him. Like, so, like, it's just one of my favorite. I think it's even a, a, a gif on on Twitter. So, so little um, side note there. Sorry, I, uh, that was not in the script. Uh, Harrison Ford had diarrhea that day, dysentery. For real, he was filming while it, while ill. He was so tired of filming that scene in the heat. He just pulled out his gun and fake shot him because he was so tired of filming the scene. And Spielberg was like, "That's awesome, do it." And that stayed in the final cut. I love it. I love it. So number three here, I went with uh, a cheater's route here. I put every James Bond movie starring Pierce Brosnan. Sure. Yes. Um, and I think this goes back to my childhood. Uh, I watched them all, loved them growing up. And uh, everything, it, it seemed like there was a legitimate plot line um, when I was, you know, 10. But then I recently watched them because I think they all hit Netflix or one of those streaming services. And then I watched it and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, so that's my number three. And, number and by two. the way, if you were a little bit older, you could put the exact same list down except take out Pierce Brosnan and put in Roger Moore. See, and I had never I don't think I've watched any. I watched the ones with Sean Connery. I don't think I've watched other than Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan. I think those are the only two James Bond series i guess you could call it that i've ever seen uh so number two and i don't know if people would agree with this or not but i went with number two being boondock saints have you guys seen that movie wow great wow good pull dust controversial controversial that you're gonna get you're gonna catch some heat here my man i think okay so let me justify this and and i'm not a huge just run into the room shoot everybody up like i like a lot a good mob movie but this to me seemed over the top and it did have that, it did have that, uh, that wit, it had comedy in it. Um, you know, make like a dead tree stump and get out of here, uh, in that bar scene. Um, it, I just could never follow what the actual point of the movie was. And maybe I need to rewatch it within the last five years. But I remember watching this all the time growing up just because it, it had comedy. It had the action. Um, I think a lot of people would call this like one of their favorite movies, but I just can't get over the fact that I just think it's so over the top that it fits that bad category to me. Uh, and then number one, I went with Kurt. I went with Point Break. Wow. Okay. This is crazy. This is not. This is not gone how I thought it would. I thought three of my my movies on here would be all over your guys's, especially my number one. I am shocked. And dare say a little bit disappointed that what my number one movie is, is not on any of your guys' list. So first of all, uh, first notes, I threw out every Fast and Furious movie. 
they're all the exact same movie. Couldn't tell them apart even if I tried. I threw out all the Final Destination movies, exact same movie. Can't take, can't, you know, like can't tell them. And then it's so funny. I said I also threw out every Keanu Reeves movie because he turns every movie into a bad, good movie. So I just, I couldn't pick from those. They were gone. Couple quick ones. I'm not going to break them down, but these are just, just missed. And, and I love them. Idle Hands, phenomenal. It's a comedy zombie movie. And it is, it is hilarious. Uh, there's some old 90s stars that are just getting started. Got to see it. Tango and Cash uh, could have been on the list. So bad. So good. Don't even care if you make fun of me for these next two. Love Actually, uh, Christmas movie I watch with my wife all the time, but it is horrible. And then right behind that, The Devil Wears Prada. It's it's horrible, but I, I, I'm, I'm secure enough in my masculinity to say I, I actually love that movie. And then Starship Troopers, uh, probably because of the campiness that was it was trying to be. I, I, I kicked it off the list. That was a good point by by um, uh, Kurt. Number five, I have I snuck it in just because it's a personal favorite of mine. Rat Race. Um, it is a, a, a conglomeration of actors. They all got, you know, 15 minute cameos on it. Mr. Bean steals the show in the movie. He's hilarious. My cousin and I have loved this movie from, from since the first time we saw it. It's a race. It's a race. I'm winning. I'm winning. Uh, makes me laugh every single time. Number four, the original 1980s Red Dawn. This was one I thought would be on the list from Kurt. Uh, this is, I mean, it is the one of the best collection of 80s young stars. Charlie Sheen, uh, young Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Gregg. Like, you just keep going. Uh, scared the hell out of me when I was a little kid because we thought Russia was going to invade and kill everybody in the United States. At one point, this movie tapped into the fears of kids our age and made a ridiculous movie with somehow somewhat of a happy ending. It, it's, it's gotta be on the list. Okay. I have to intervene. That was actually, I have it on my sheet as honorable mention. I just didn't mention it. I just saw that movie again recently. And I swear like that it was better this time than it was even back in the eighties. So maybe it shouldn't be on because it's honestly a good movie, you know, like I mean, that's it's good, but it's also just really stupid. Right, it's a bunch right. of high school kids fighting the Red Army. I mean, come on. Oh, man, it's fantastic. Uh, and wait. Next one, next one, number three, Armageddon, right? They're, like, some oh, of the favorite things, like, just just uh, type in unscientific things about Armageddon, like, all the things where Hollywood, maybe they, like, got a, a quarter into writing it, and, they're, and, and their scientific, you know, person that was helping with the script, they're like, you know what? Just get out of the room. We don't even care anymore. We're just we're just making this movie how we want. Uh, but so many iconic scenes, just stupid scenes in that movie, and it's fantastic. Uh, number uh, two, I completely cheated because it's the exact same movie. Is Cliffhanger and Over the Top to Sylvester Stallone? I mean, this could be the Sylvester Stallone list as well with this, but you know, a whole movie with a guy just. Going like this, you know, you can't see, I know the pipe, but he just kind of, kind of shuffles his fingers. Now, all of a sudden he's the best, you know, uh, uh, arm wrestler. Forget about turning the hat backwards to to give himself superpowers. How many kids in America 
turned their hat backwards when they sat down to arm wrestle throughout the 80s and 90s, like countless. Like it, it, but just think about this someone made a movie about arm wrestling. It's really all you need to know. And we all loved it. And we all loved it. We all loved Um, it. And then Cliff, and then Cliffhanger, you know, also pretty crazy movie. For anybody that watched Cliffhanger, this is all you got to do. You only have to watch literally like the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, It starts out with a girl falling to her death. So when she's falling to her death, don't look at Sylvester Stallone. Don't look at Michael Rourke, the other actor in in the helicopter. Look at the old man that is like the helicopter pilot. He's laughing his ass off. It is the weirdest thing in the world. Like she's falling to her death and he looks like he just got told the funniest joke in the history. Like my buddy Wes and I used to pause that and laugh our butts off every single time. And then the number one movie, like I have to feel like podcast listeners listening to this right now are just like shocked that this movie has not been uh, mentioned until now. It is the goat of goat of good, bad movies, big trouble in little China. It's like it's 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 the mantle. It's it is it is what we are all trying to get to. Kurt Russell as a truck driver that just randomly shows up in Chinatown. There's 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 so many horrible tropes for Chinese people that are in there, which, you know, is now we can hopefully retroactively look back and say, hey, it was a different time. But I mean, the the, the, the special effects, just the whole premise of it. Um, out of nowhere, like the worst, uh, like uh, a puppeteer, bad person in the world. Oh man, it's I might I might watch it this weekend if I can find time. So I love that you brought a Kurt Russell film into this because t- I feel like he's the sneaky Keanu Reeves, Sylvester Stallone of the gang. Like he makes equally bad movies as those guys, but he probably doesn't get the credit for how horrible they are. Like if Keanu Reeves, Sylvester Stallone, and Kurt Russell all made a movie together, would it like rip a hole in space time? Because it would be the the campiest thing. Yeah. I think like matter and antimatter would start colliding and the world would just annihilate itself. (laughs) My my question is, is Bruce Willis one of the underrated bad good actors? Like, I don't know, like since Die Hard, I don't know if I take him seriously. No, that's a good point. It's a good good point. point. He's got to be on that list too. Let's let's throw him in the cast. And then all of a sudden he has hair in a movie, and it's like that don't look right. No, that I don't like that. All right. Well, I think this was a successful segment here. I I, I hope so. I mean, it was for us three. I don't know if it will be for anybody, anybody else. I, I want to make one more. I want to ask one more. Have you guys ever seen the movie? I thought about including this on here, but I stayed away from comedy. Have you guys seen Summer Rental with John Candy? It's been a long Boy. time. Oh my god! I gosh. think I did, but it was so long ago. It, if people, if you can find it, I don't know if you would be even be able to find it anymore, but that is one of the funniest, but it has no point. It's just John Candy being himself. It is hysterical. It's an I think it's an early 1980s movie, but that was an underrated one for me. I remember watching that growing up, and I thought it was the funniest damn movie I'd ever watched. Um, and now I'm sure if I watch it again, I would just I would consider it stupid. But that's that's so like, up the list. I didn't part like the only comedy I put on was Rat Race just for personal because comedies are supposed to be silly. So like then they go down the good bat like uh, spies or uh, spies like us, yeah. Chevy Chase and and uh, Dan Aykroyd. 
phenomenal. Like, it's not supposed to be a masterpiece. It it was supposed to be silly. So, you know, I, I didn't ever list it off, but yeah. All right, that was a lot of fun. So um, now we will do the list, our annual ranking of the Big Ten coaches. This is uh, my personal favorite. This had a lot of traction last uh, year on Twitter. We hope it does again this year. So please let us know. A quick breakdown of how this is going to go, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, Big Kurt, Dustin, and I all ranked our coaches from top to bottom. I averaged them out. And then this will be the list uh, that you will hear. Um, we were all pretty similar. We were just talking uh, offline. We were all pretty similar. There's a couple of them that are that are spiked up or down where one of us has a difference. So I'll try to uh, point that out. Uh, so what I'm going to do is list the coach off. Kurt's going to go. Dustin's going to go. Then I'm going to talk. And then I will list where they are ranked uh, in, in comparison to how much they make in the Big Ten. So in this case, uh, having a negative number is bad. Having a plus number is good. If you're looking at this from the fan base or, you know, athletic director's point of view for, for how it is. Okay. First up, or as we should say, in this case, last up, because we're starting the bottom up. He, he, he ran the Goocher. All three of us had him in 14th place. Mike Loxley. Kurt? Yeah, locks is a lock for the 14 position until he does something to prove otherwise. I mean, his his obviously hasn't been at Maryland too long. We can't judge him too harshly for what he's done at Maryland. Great recruiter. Who knows? Maybe there's a bright future there. But not only has he not done anything at Maryland yet, his his stint in New Mexico is just an embarrassment. So I think he's just a lock for the 14 spot. Yeah, there was really no debate to me. I do like what he's done from a recruiting standpoint, but when he brought his first staff to Maryland, uh, I thought that that was going to be a problem. I mean, just hiring Scotty Montgomery, I thought was a big mistake. And so, you know, maybe he's got enough talent there to get bowl eligibility. And at Maryland, that's I think that's all you can really ask. I mean, yeah, they can be an eight or nine win program in the Big Ten East, but I just don't see much. He's never had a winning season. His biggest claim to fame was beating a down Penn State team last year. So we'll see what happens this year. But I didn't there was no competition in my mind. His other claim to fame was beating a staff member. Uh, so there's <laughs> there's nothing much. <laughs> there's nothing much I can add there. Um, Bud Elliott would probably have him ranked seventh. Strictly off of the fact that he's such a good recruiter, right? I mean, that's the only thing that matters at all. So the one thing I would say is that he is appropriately paid. He is our only even Steven coach. He's the 14th paid coach in the Big Ten. He is the 14th ranked coach in our ranking. So I guess to a certain degree, uh, athletic director is doing what he's supposed to do right there. Okay, number 13, we have Mel Tucker of Michigan State. Kurt, go ahead. Yeah, so I actually ranked Mel 12th, but I'm looking at my list and I almost updated it. He should be 13 for me. So I'm going to, I think he's, that's appropriately ranked. Now, that's not to say I think he's a bad coach. He just, we, we don't know what he is yet. We've seen one year at Colorado, which was mediocre. And then, you know, we, not a great year at Michigan State, but obviously rebuilding. So he just, He's he's nestled in that 13 spot simply because he's an unknown. Yeah, just not enough of a sample size uh, for Mel Tucker. Five and seven his first year at Colorado. 
Then last year, two and four, but those two wins he gets against Michigan and he beats, he hands Northwestern their only regular season loss of the year. So I think he's done some nice things through the transfer portal. He's upgraded the quarterback position. He seems like a guy to me that if you, it's, it's either his way or the highway. And I think that's a good thing to have at Michigan State, considering what they had with that 2016 recruiting class moving forward. They've just been in all kinds of trouble. I think he's going to be a good fit there. We just don't have the sample size. And remember, this was a guy who was brought in the day before National Signing Day of the 2020 season. And then he basically had two weeks with his team and then everything shut down. So this is going to be basically that was year zero for Mel Tucker. I'm really interested to see what he does this year with with. Some of his players, not a lot of them, but some of his players and a full year to work with those guys. Yeah, um, I hope this isn't a ranking that upsets too many Michigan State fans. It's just it, it's more circumstantial than it is a reflection on Mel Tucker. Uh, the one thing I kind of always point out is um, his time at Colorado. His one season at Colorado did have similarities uh, with his one season at Michigan State, which was quick highs followed by by low lows like he's been spiky He's going to have to um, um, get some consistency at some point. Don't think it'll happen this year. He needs more time, but I'm kind of a Mel Tucker fan for for whatever reason. Um, so he is unfortunately our lowest off the board. He is number he is negative eight in in pay to placement. He is the fifth highest paid coach in the Big Ten, but is at 13th place now. That is a little bit of a market thing right there. If you get hired later on, you know, in 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 where your hire happened compared to other coaches, your salary is going to be higher. They have increased. So that's not totally his fault. Yeah. And you got to remember that they went to him with an offer initially and he turned them down and Michigan State was left scrambling. So they had to kind of up the ante. Otherwise, they were going to have um, Mike Tressel running the show. Bingo. All right, our number 12th ranked coach in the Big Ten, Jeff Brom like Tom. Kurt? Yeah, Brom like Tom. So, like I said with Mel Tucker, I had Brom like Tom at 13, but he should really be 12 on my list as well. He's done um, more to earn that than Mel Tucker has. Good stint at Western Kentucky, but he didn't really build it. Comes to Purdue, and he has that great first season kind of out of nowhere. He was like the the – you know, the the little the media darling, which is why I uh, anointed him the demigod on our podcast. It's a little bit tongue in cheek because I that, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was impressive what he did, but they were mostly good, more, more so on defense than they were on offense. And he's an offensive guy. But then he has proven his chops offensively. But at the same time, he's kind of tailed off there. He doesn't seem to have the same luster that he used to offensively. So he's. You know, he's he's really underperformed since that first year, basically. So he, his recruiting was looking great. Now that's not looking very good. So he's just his arrow for me is pointed down right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I have him one spot ahead. I have him at the number 11 spot um, simply because those first two seasons, he took a really bad Purdue team to two back to back bowl games. So I give him credit for that. And he had some bright spots looking at, I think he had a couple top 30 recruiting classes in back-to-back years and everything looked pretty positive, but his inability to recruit the offensive and defensive lines, um, it, I, he's very similar to another coach we're going to talk about here, I'm sure in just, just a few minutes, but uh, it, he's, he, I think he's in, in trouble this season. He's got to get Purdue back to a bowl game, but 
started off promising, but now really kind of spiraling downward. And he's going to have to put up a big year this year. Yep. Um, Kurt had him one spot lower. DS had him one spot higher. I had him right at 12. So that averaged out to exactly 12 for the ranking. Um, yeah, you guys have done a great job nailing it. The one thing I would add is that I just believe he is a uh, he has not proven to me that he's a roster builder. I feel that he can recruit to specific spots, uh, but fitting it all together with an O and D line and and having those good recruits spread out among their team, I have not seen it from him yet. Uh, so we have him ranked twelfth. He is paid eighth in the Big Ten. So not a great number for Purdue Athletics. He is negative four on our scale. Next up, number 11, Nebraska's Scott Frost. Kurt? Yeah, this one was tough for me um, with the, the, the person I've ranked ahead of him. So Frost, obviously that meteoric rise at UCF, another media darling, which is why I named him Demigod 2.0 on the podcast uh, hasn't hasn't taken off yet at Nebraska, not to say that he won't. I think this is probably the best team this coming year that he'll field. So we'll see what happens. But just hasn't hasn't shown us a lot on the Big Ten level is, is all it comes down to. That's why he's not higher right now. I think that Scott Frost was unfortunately baptized as the next Messiah in Lincoln when he first got there. And I think a lot of people looked at what he did at UCF and thought that that would immediately translate to the Big Ten in Nebraska, at least being at the top of the West. And it just hasn't worked out. Not only that, but you've seen a lot of their top end recruits leave. I know a lot of that probably had to do with COVID-19, especially this past season um, and, and people, players wanting to transfer out and, and get a little bit closer to home. But Zero bowl appearances at Nebraska, never had a winning season. And the one thing I think you've even pointed this out, Greek and, and Kurt, is that, you know, you take away his undefeated season. And obviously that's a big thing. He's, he doesn't have a winning year. He's been to a, another bowl game, but he's had a losing record every single season. He's been a head coach if you take away that undefeated season. So I I had him at number 12. I had him behind Brown because of his lack of bowl appearances as it, He's recruited very well, but he just can't keep those players. Um, so I, this he's another guy who I, I think Jeff Brom and, and Scott Frost at right now are looking. It's kind of a Spider-Man meme. I think Scott Frost is a little bit better understanding now of building a roster and getting offensive and defensive linemen, getting the skill position players, but doesn't mean much if you can't keep them in Lincoln. Yeah, I've got him at 11 right along with our average here. Um, the I go all over the board when I think about Scott Frost because there are times when I think um, he is definitely starting to figure it out uh, that once he has more of the players in place that fit what he wants to do, it'll click because the offense did click in 2018, his first year in the job. Um, and they and then because of all the stuff we talked about, defections from recruits, stuff like that, um, he hasn't had those pieces to work with. And it's just simply put too much pressure on Adrian Martinez and the offense. So I, that's the stuff I think. Then the other stuff I think is uh, defensive coaches in the Big Ten West take their job very much more seriously than they ever did in the Pac-12 or obviously the AAC. Uh Coaches have defensive coaches have caught on to these type of offenses more now than they did 
10 years ago. So the fit of this offense in this league, especially in the Big Ten West with, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern type of defenses, I, I don't know if it'll make uh, make ever make a, a ton of sense uh, keeping your quarterback healthy. Uh, and then um, on top of that, like I can't escape this feeling that Scott Frost really thought he was going to come into the Big Ten West, the the lowly Big Ten West, and, and just roll it over. And and like it's took him this long to understand that you know things that Old Man Kirk and and Christ and and Fitzy are doing. There's a reason why they're doing that in this league and in this division. And now I think he is adjusting and morphing into a program that's going to look more like that. But but if that is the case, then we need to give him credit for recognizing that and and starting to make that adjustment. Well, and if you if you go back to look at what Scott Frost accomplished when he was an offensive coordinator or a or a, a position coach, and it wasn't necessarily his accomplishments, but I think he had one losing season in all of his time as an assistant coach. So when you pair that with the fact that you take a winless UCF to six or seven wins and then you get him to an undefeated season and you beat Auburn, I think he had, I think he was, as you guys like to say, puppy chesty walking into Lincoln thinking this is going to take me two or three years and we're going to be competing for Big Ten and national championships. And it almost would have served him better if that job at Lincoln hadn't opened up right away because I think he would have benefited from maybe getting his teeth kicked in a few times at UCF. Um, just to kind of learn that the hard way before going to the big stage and, and being the head coach at Nebraska. Certainly he understands what all comes with that. But I think that there was a confidence that like, I've been successful everywhere I'm at. Why would it be any different at Nebraska? So I agree with your point that I think now he's starting to realize I'm going to have to change some things if I want to be successful in this league. Bingo. All right. Um, so like I said, we have him in 11th. Um, he is the sixth highest paid coach in the Big Ten, so that's a negative five on our scale. We'll see if he can move up and make that uh, 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 salary make a little bit more sense over time. Number 10, we have Rutgers' Greg Schiano. Wow, to me, this is way too low. Schiano, uh, yes, he's been out of the game a little bit. Uh, first year, last year, I thought was just fantastic. Maybe, maybe the best coaching job in the Big Ten last year. Taking that team that, honestly, I think was the worst Big Ten team I've ever seen from 2018-19, and he it, it looked better literally immediately. Out of the gate, beating Michigan State last year, not to mention the things he's doing, the transfer portal, the things he's doing recruiting right now. My goodness, uh, Rutgers is not going to be that roll-your-helmet-out-onto-the-field team anymore. He's made that very clear. I had him eighth on my list. So I'm a little surprised that he's down this low. I had him right in that number 10 spot. And I think that this is also kind of the Mel Tucker effect where it's just, I want to see a bigger sample size. Once the, I agree with you, I think you know, it could have been in consideration for the big 10 coach of the year. And that's crazy. But when you look at, he could have beaten, he was within one possession of beating Nebraska and Michigan. And I think maybe even another game in there. So you're looking at a, at a Rutgers team that had lost like what 20 some straight big 10 games or something crazy like that. And they potentially could have won six games last season. They were in six games and you go back to that Ohio state game. And even though they were down by like 30 points, he's pulling out trick plays and, you know, special teams nonsense. I mean, this is going to be a very fun team to watch. I, I compare them. I think when he gets everything in place, 
this is going to be like the Northwestern of the East where you, this is not going to be a team you want to play on any Saturday. Yeah, you guys are nailing it. Um, I, when I think of uh, Shiano last year is um, when fan bases are always mad at their coach when their team is underperforming. Right. And they're just like, just get a new coach in and this is how much better we would be. And typically when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Greg Shiano came in and they looked that much better from the get go strictly because of Greg Shiano and his staff. Like it's, it's incredible. Um, Rutgers was looked at as the Kansas of the big 10. We no longer have a Kansas. Uh, Kansas is all alone for its awfulness. And I'm waiting for the national writers to wake up and because the big 10 was completely all brought down simply because of how bad Rutgers was for three or four years there. Rutgers was never as bad as Kansas is right now, but anyways, I'll get off that soapbox. But again, this goes back to Greg Shiano. He's done that great of a job making him look that better. The recruiting he's mixed in. He is such a fit for New Jersey. He's New Jersey through and through. And the best way you can say it is this is a hire that the other Big Ten East coaches hate. They don't want to see this because Number one, they want to roll their helmet out game, you know, late in the fall, and they don't want to have to uh, butt heads for him for recruits in that talent rich area. All right. So we have him at 10th. He is paid 12th in the Big Ten at four million. We have our first plus coach in the rankings. So Rutgers is getting a deal by two spots. All right. Next up. Oh, and I want, also want to point out. Where the coaches have been ranked thus far is exactly how I had them on my list. I'm much better at this than both of you. Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, number nine, we've got Illinois and Kurt's own Brett the Beetle, Bilma. Appropriate, Kurt, started off. Yeah, so most people probably call him Brett. National media calls him Bert. Uh, Greek calls him Beetle. I call him Beat. This was probably... The toughest one for me to rank, trying to pull my Illini fandom out of it. But I was doing this tug of war in my head. You know, he did such a great job at Wisconsin. But let's be honest, that was ages ago. And it's not like he had to build it either. But then, okay, he goes to Arkansas and supposedly is the worst football coach in college football history. I don't know. It It didn't look nearly as bad to me as it seems people are making it out to be. And then you see him come in and he's just doing all the right things. I mean, this is he's I'm a big fan of saying like fan bases kind of know what they need at any point in their history. And this this is what Illinois needed right now. This kind of coach. He's got the right attitude. He loves uh, stumping for the program, um, you know, branding the program, putting it out there and getting attention. That's exactly what we needed after the Lovey Smith era. So um I'm just really curious to see how it turns out. I'm I'm curious to see what is like what is the ceiling for Illinois? Can he do can he can he get us to bowl games? Can he keep us in bowl games and can he do anything after that? But I mean I could have realistically had him much lower on this list too, but I, I had him ranked at, in the 10th spot. I had him at number 9 and I you know I'm going with the Believema theme, the Brett Believema because I think he now this was a hire that I, I was really questioning. Um, I thought coming out of the Lovey Smith area, you needed to make a splash hire. And I think a lot of people just kind of waved off Bielema. But you look back at Arkansas, I took him to three bowl games. Like, imagine if you 
replaced Arkansas with Indiana and put him in the Big Ten East, don't you think everybody would have been like, wow, look at what he did at Indiana. But because it's the SEC and there's that high expectation that we have to be competing for division championships, I think he got a little bit um, – I think he got hammered a little bit by the national media. I think he's still a really good football coach. It is hard to tell because you go from really one extreme to the other. Like Wisconsin – like Gary Anderson was successful at Wisconsin. Brett or uh, Barry Alvarez is, was running that show, Grandpa Barry. Um, so it's hard to judge him based on Wisconsin. It's also hard to say he's a bad coach because of what he did at Arkansas because that's a program that is, has been in shambles really since Bobby Petrino wrecked his motorcycle. And he was able to get them to three bowl games in five seasons. They beat some big-time teams. They won some big games. I'm curious. I think he can be a consistent – to me, Illinois, if you get to four bowl games in five seasons and you can compete for a Big Ten um, West title – one time every five or six years in that what I'll ask you, Kurt, in that what you want. And I think he can do that. Yeah. I mean, that, that is what we want as Illini fans. We just want to get to bowl games. We just want to be competitive in you know, like basically every game except Ohio state. Yeah. Of course we're not going to be competitive against them, but when we play Wisconsin, there's no reason we shouldn't as a program be able to hang in there and, and maybe still lose, but look competitive and look like we belong in the field. That's what we want right now. Of course, you know, when he, if when he accomplishes that, we're going to want more. But really, we just want consistent play competitiveness. Continuing on the patent myself on my own back bandwagon, um, I was the one talking Illinois fans off the ledge right at the beginning of this hire. Uh, my gut feeling was that I hated this hire because of I'm an Iowa fan and I don't want the division to be any harder than it is, and he's going to make it. So um, a lot of that is going to do with him putting a fence around the state of Illinois for recruiting. He has done that even more than I thought he would. It's been incredible, his effort with that, you know, mixed in with all the other things you guys pointed out. Uh, quick side story, uh, Coach Fry, Coach Hayden Fry, when I was at Iowa, he always had a lot of go-to jokes. One of them that he would always say is, you know, I never won't a coach on my staff who's uglier than his or his wife is uglier than him. And his whole point was if he can't recruit a good looking girl to be his uh, wife or girlfriend, then he doesn't want that out of his coach. Well, I can tell you, Brett has outkicked his coverage with his wife, which would probably lend itself into him being a pretty good, pretty, pretty good recruiter. He would laugh at that if he heard that, by the way. So yes, we have him at ninth in the big 10. His pay is 11th in the Big Ten at $4.2 million, so good job by Josh Whitman. He is also at a plus two on the rankings. All right, next up, almost to the top half, but right there on the bottom half, number eight, Michigan's own Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to find a lot of great things to say about Jim Harbaugh, but I'm going to try here. He did have a nice little stint at Stanford. And he has done some good things at Michigan. I I kind of, maybe I'm a little too hard on him because I basically feel like he's doing Michigan things. Like this is what Michigan is. And he's, you know, he hasn't really raised the bar, but he hasn't lowered the bar. But then I look at his staff right now and I don't know what the hell he's thinking. What What is, you know, what what is his long-term plan here? I don't have a lot of confidence in the staff. And I, I don't know, maybe he's just kind of like, Eh, whatever. We'll just hang around until some other better opportunity pops up. And I think maybe he's just kind of mailing in it a little bit. 
But you do have to give him some credit for winning some football games. So that's why he's this high. I, you can have him lower, but I guess he has earned it. Well, to me, his best season was, I mean, clearly to me it was 2016. I, I didn't think that 2000, I thought that 2018 team was good, but I didn't think it was 2016 at all. And, you know, he's playing with Brady Hoke's players at that point. Um, so I think the change initially was good. One of the things that kind of aggravates me is uh, when you hear people, Joe Klatt says this a lot, you know, Jim Harbaugh is doing, um, as you would say, Kurt, too, Michigan things. Like, this is who Michigan is. Jim Harbaugh is doing a fine job. Like, is, isn't your goal to be at Ohio State's level? Maybe not winning the Big Ten four times in five seasons, but you need to be in the mix. You need to be the second best team in the Big Ten East. So, and <clears throat> to the point about the coaching staff, I thought it was good that they had some change, but I also thought I, I bought into the hype of Josh Gaddis being the next offensive coordinator when he came and we see how that turned out. That hasn't gone well for him. So I'm curious to see what happens with this coaching change. I'm not op optimistic unless Michigan hits nine wins this season or beats Ohio state. I, I can't imagine with that buyout being what 4 million or something. I can't imagine he's back in 2022, but I feel like we have this conversation every offseason, and here he is again in his khaki pants on the sidelines in Ann Arbor. So, Yeah, you guys are doing a good job laying it out. Um, I listened to a Michigan Insider podcast where they said that a lot of the fan base and athletic department is looking at this as a two-year stint, as in um, we understand he had to restart the staff. So we're not going to solely base it off of this year, but it's basically, will they look better by the end of this year going into next year? So maybe even an eight and four will be fine as long as it's an eight and four that looks better going into next year. You know, how trustful that source is. I don't know. Dustin, you want to say something? I mean, I can understand that, but if you get beat by 40 points by Ohio State again, like at what point does it just become, this is, well, this is, this is tradition now. Like we're just going to get slapped around by Ohio state. I, so if they're more competitive, I can see that I can see eight and four. Okay. We'll give this another year. See if we're more competitive, but if you get beat, especially if you lose some of these big time games to Indiana, Penn state, if you get beat and get blown out, like they did in 2019 against Wisconsin, Ohio state, you know, you name it. Um, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see what the point is. Try to bring in somebody else and see if you can fix it. Bingo. And that's what they that's what they talked about on that pod is it, you know, it depends what the eight and four looks like. You, maybe you don't necessarily beat Ohio State, but just like you said, don't get blown out by three or four touchdowns. One thing I pointed out on the podcast and I got called out for it in DMs on Twitter was I called him a star sniffer when it comes to recruits. But that person pointed out correctly to me. Yeah, but. They have a lot of guys that go into the NFL as well. So the high stars are correlating into, into draft picks and a lot of times high draft picks. But then that just perplexes me even more. They have good recruits. They have a lot of guys in the NFL. They're still not winning big football games. That's why I ranked Harbaugh so low. I get a very Lovey Smith-like feel from Harbaugh right now. Where And what I mean by that is... He loves cashing that check every two weeks. Coaching, it doesn't love it quite as much as cashing that check. Bingo. All right, so he is number one, numero uno, for pay in the Big Ten at $8 million a year and at uh, eighth in the uh, uh, 
and our rankings for uh, here, that's a negative seven. So not good. Not good for Mr. Harbaugh. That's our second lowest in the uh, rankings here. All right. We are now into the top half of the Big Ten. This would be the point where I would say when you are seventh on this list and you are ranked this high, to be honest with you, you could probably go all the way down to like 11 or 12 with that. We are proving how great the coaching is in this league, really from top to almost bottom. Okay, maybe top to thirteen. All right, uh, but here we are at Smack number Loxley for that comment. <laughs> Sorry, it's just it's just dangling there. Um, so number seven, Indiana's own Tom Allen. Wow, Tommy A down at seven, boy. It's tough Slap competition. The- it's tough competition here. Slap in the face, man. Tommy Allen, I've made no mistake, is my favorite non-Illini head coach in the Big Ten. Love that crazy bastard. Love that the crazy eyes. You never know. Is he on your side? Is he against you? Like, is he your best friend? Is he going to stab you in the back? It is it, a little dangerous. I kind of like it. Um, but uh, just it, it's really hard in the Big Ten to take a program and elevate them from who they are traditionally. And that's exactly what Tom Allen has done. And now you look at him recruiting. It's like, my goodness, this is not just a uh, roll your helmet out game. Not only is that gone. I mean, they're really, to me, pushing for to, to break into that like top three, four in the East every year um, where they're, you know, beating Michigan. They're beating Michigan State. They're competing with Penn State. Um, I. I we could put this guy a lot higher, I think. And I did have him a little bit higher than than number seven. I did have Tommy A at number seven. First of all, if you ever go on the Indiana University website and look at his picture in that suit and tie with those tinted glasses, he looks like he's going to sh- sell me like house and life insurance at State Farm. Like you look like you could walk into his office. He's going to sell you some insurance. So that's number one. The reason I don't have, I agree with everything you said. So I'm going to knock Tom Allen here a little bit. This is the reason I don't have him higher on this list is the teams he's, I mean, you can say the teams he's beaten are the teams he's supposed to beaten, but that's not always the case at Indiana, obviously. So he has elevated the program, but you had your best season without any fans in attendance. So I, I'm curious to see what he, d- Indiana's used to that. I, I mean, the fans just don't show up. I, I'm, I'm, it's <laughs> a great point. A lot, of, a lot of IU people will agree with me on that. We've had this conversation. Um, so I think the last season actually benefited Indiana. And you look at that bowl game last season, and you look at the bowl game against Tennessee, and I'm just not quite convinced he's got that big-time game in front of a crowd type of gene. Maybe that has to do with recruiting. Maybe that has to do with depth. So maybe they'll get there. But Tom Allen's a great coach. He's taken, he has the potential to take Indiana to heights it's not seen since the 60s. So I do like him. I'm just his best year comes in a year when there was no fans, which, again, I think really benefited Indiana. Really curious to see what he does in some of these big time atmospheres. They go to Michigan. They go to Penn State. They might even go to Michigan State. I don't remember. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what he does this year. Yeah, I like Tom Allen, but I think it sounds like I'm a little bit closer to DS here as far as what I think about them. Um, they definitely looked better, it, really the last two years. They looked better in 2019 as well, and then certainly, obviously, last year in 2020. But all the things that, that DS just did a good job laying out, that's what I 
agree with. I'm going to need to see it uh, again this year. And then as the hunted, you're going to be the hunted this year. And I really, that is something that I buy into. Um, and, the, and then the other thing with the uh, Indiana fans, by gosh, they got a basketball hoop in the concourse at their football stadium. It's that's just bananas to me. Every time I see that on TV, I want to I want to scream. With that being said, he is the seventh ranked coach on our rankings, the 13th highest paid coach in the Big Ten at three point seven million. That is a healthy plus six. That is our second highest number in our scoring system here all right number six and this is very close i've got averages here um tommy allen at 6.66 sign of the devil uh, which kind of maybe fits in a little bit with tom allen there a little bit and then (laughs) and then the uh average for pj fleck our number six coach is 6.33 to try to give you an idea of just how close we had these ranked but pj fleck number six picker yeah, well-earned number six here for P.J. Fleck. Um, kind of similar to me, uh, I'm going to say a lot of the same things that I said with Tommy Allen. Um, he, it, It's really hard to elevate a program. It's not like uh, Minnesota was this super down program before P.J. Fleck arrived. In fact, I don't think they get enough credit for what they did before P.J. Fleck was there. But he has noticeably elevated the program Another guy like uh, like Beetle just doing the right things, um, promoting his his team, always like wants to be the face of the program. I mean, loves being the face of the program, let's be honest. But um, and getting it done on the field. I mean, the 11 and two season. Fantastic. I, I give him a pass last year because I think that Minnesota really had the toughest uh, was dealt the toughest covid hand of anybody in the Big Ten. So. I'm looking forward to see what he can he can do this year with um you know being at full full strength. I give him kind of a pass for last season, but you look back at the 2019 season, they needed late rallies to beat San Diego or uh, South Dakota State, Georgia Southern, and Fresno State. So to me, when I see this team, I see I see Iowa light in the fact that this is a team I want to play Ohio State, for instance. I'm glad I'm playing them week one and not week nine or 10. Uh, so I, I think if he, if he was able to play, have his team ready to go earlier in the season, um, I would have probably had him higher because I think that they had enough talent, even though they, they lost some guys on the offensive line. I mean, not having Daniel Falalele and Curtis Dunlap was huge for them last season and to still finish out three and four. Um, but this is another guy. I just haven't seen it consistently. I don't think Minnesota's the kind of team like some people believe that they could be up in the top of the Big Ten West every year. I don't think that's going to be the case. But much like we talked about with Brett Bielema, can they get to a bowl game every year? Can they every five years compete in the Big Ten West with teams like Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern? I think they can. Um, So that's why I have P.J. Fleck at number six. Yeah, one thing that we probably did a bad job of setting up is, you know, just what goes into each one of our rankings for the coach. And obviously it's, you know, I'm going to lean – heavily on what they've done in the Big Ten and then probably have some recency bias. But I definitely also brought in what they did previous to that. And you could make an argument that what he did at Western Michigan has been as impressive, if not more, than what he's done at Minnesota. So that definitely weighed into my ranking with uh, Captain Quarterzip. And then what he has done at Minnesota is is very impressive to me. Um, I honestly think last year was 
a very good coaching job because I believe he was put behind the eight ball by his administration. They did. I'm convinced they did not have the chance to practice or hardly be around each other in the offseason or right up before that Michigan game. So I think they improved um, by the end of the year. By gosh, their offensive line and teams typically improve throughout the year. It's a, it's annoying, right? As a, as an Iowa fan, but it, I feel, I feel like I'm also speaking on fact. Um, is he quote unquote, my guy? No, he's not, but he is a, he's done what he can in Minnesota, especially considering that he is up against a administration that doesn't help him out, a local media that doesn't help him out. And half the time a fan base that doesn't help him out because even gopher fans get mad at the fake gopher fans for not being more loyal. I'm not talking to the Gopher fans that listen to this pod. I'm listening to the ones that would never listen to the pod because they don't care about Gopher football that much. Like he has to fight all of that. And I think he's done a pretty good job thus far. So we have him ranked sixth again at $4.6 million. He is the ninth ranked coach in the big 10. So that's a healthy plus three margin for PJ Fleck. All right. Number five, I predict this will be one of our more controversial Placements of a coach is Penn State's James Franklin. Yeah, didn't we have him quite a bit higher last year? I feel like he was... We had him second last year. Yeah, yeah. This is a tough one. Of course, you know, you were talking about what factors into this. So there's definitely recency bias here. Last year, obviously, less than desirable year for Penn State. But again, it's, you know, it was a weird season. So how much do you really factor that in. But I guess for me, I, I had him ranked at sixth personally. And I guess the reason is your Penn State, um, your goal is to basically be Ohio State. He's doing a good job. Don't get me wrong. He's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. I think he mostly gets it done on the field, but he's not, you know, he's not elevating up to that Ohio State level. I get it. It's Ohio State. It's not easy. But that's your goal, and he hasn't quite gotten there yet. So that's why he's not higher on the list for me personally. I had James Franklin, excuse me, quite a bit higher at number three on the list. Um, I can't overlook the 2016 Big Ten title run. He had three 11-win seasons in a four-year span, which is something that Penn State hadn't done. I did the research on this at one time, and I, of course I'm blanking on it. It was like the 1990s maybe. So even for a premier program, he had not he had accomplished something that hadn't been done in 20 plus years. So I think that's a benefit. And then I look at last season and we talked about P.J. Fleck getting a pass. I look at James Franklin getting a pass because you lose Micah Parsons, probably the best defensive player in college football last season. You lose Journey Brown out of the backfield. You had to bring in Kirk Shiraka, the offensive coordinator from Minnesota. You don't get any springtime to, to, you know, change your offense. So. I give James Franklin the benefit of the doubt and give him the higher ranking this time because he's a better recruiter. He's played Ohio State better than I think just about anybody consistently anyway. And again, the fact that he won the Big Ten in 2016, had those three 11-win seasons, yeah, the last two seasons haven't been as great as you'd like to see, but I think he's still a really good coach in the Big Ten, and, and I think that he'll have another really good team this year. Yeah, I got him at fifth, too, and I got to say, I don't feel good about it. Uh, I, I I would say it's m- very much based on recency bias and simply how hard it is to crack the top three or four in, in the in the coaching in this conference. Like, I, I hope Penn State fans can understand this is more about who he's up against than actual James Franklin. He's done great at Penn State, 
almost got them to elite and you cannot throw out what he did at Vanderbilt. You could probably make the argument he's the best coach in Vanderbilt history in the past, I don't know, 50 years or whatever. Uh, but unfortunately, that's just kind of where he falls on the list here. Um, he is the second highest paid coach in the Big Ten at $6.7 million. So that is an unfortunate negative three on our scale for James Franklin. Number four is Iowa's own Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, because of the time of year here, we're in the spring uh, so foot, spring football is fresh in my mind. I will not call him by Kirk Ferentz, his his actual name. I will be calling him the wet blanket because God forbid we have any fun and have a spring game and put it on TV so that fans can watch it. Oh, I think we're uh, actually going to resod the field so we can't do that. Um, it's you always some. It, you want bad side? Sod is important too. It's, it's always some BS excuse why they're not having a spring game. So anyway, um, besides that, the wet blanket is a excellent head football coach. I mean, this is it, it, not exactly Wisconsin, but it's Wisconsin light. They just chug along every single friggin' year. You, they lose all these players, the NFL, every single friggin' year. And you think they're going to take a step back and they just never do. They they're basically a reload and let's do it all again program at this point. And right now I just feel like they they're going to go as far as their quarterback is going to take them this year. So we'll see how that works out, but you just, you never get a break when it's Iowa. They're always good. They're always competitive. So he deserves top four ranking here. I had him in the top five. I had him at number five pillar of consistency. Um, a lot of people will say, look at you know, an Iowa fan or something on Twitter and say, well, Iowa's going to win eight games. You know, I look at it as, I was going to win at least eight games every season. And I know that's not always the case, but it feels like I was going to get eight wins and they're going to have an upset. Could they, could they win the big 10 West? Um, maybe if we had a full season last year, they might've been in that contendership. Um, they were till the very end last season. If you know, they had a, they don't lose that game to Purdue. Maybe things are a little bit different in that second week against Northwestern. We don't know, but um, not, I mean, I really don't have much to add here. He's just been consistent. He's done it for 20 plus years. And this is a team that consistently gets to bowl games, is always a top team in the Big Ten West. And, you know, the, the, the night game factor at Kinnick Stadium, I, you can't overlook that. He's always got his teams prepared for those big games. So I think I think fair is a four rate. Four is a fair ranking. I had him one spot lower, but I certainly won't argue too much with that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would typically point out is um, whenever they do the rankings of, you know, power five wins over the past five years and 10 years, Iowa is always right there. You look with the teams that they're right up against uh, Penn State and and, you know, go another to other uh, uh, teams and other conferences like Oklahoma State, USC was right there with them. It's like. I, fully, I believe Iowa should get a lot more credit and therefore Kirk Ferentz a lot more credit. Like people act like the word consistency is bad. Uh, I would take consistency out of my five-year-old and my toddler right now, any day of the week, if they, if they just acted the same. And, and I believe that's better than being consistently bad or having these gigantic ups and downs. Like it, it shows to me that you are, you know, uh, uh, putting a good program together. And then I also cannot just forget all the millionaires the dude has made, you know, two and three star guys that he has gotten into the NFL. That, that means something to me. And I, I, I think that's why I had him as high as I did. I, and I'm, of course I'm biased. I, I had him third, 
Dustin had him fifth and uh, Kurt had him fourth. So he was a perfect four across the board. Um, and then, yeah, so he is the seventh ranked or seventh highest paid coach in the Big Ten at $4.9 million. That's plus three, which means that he is three spots better than where he could be for being paid. Yet we still get an article every single spring about Kirk Ferentz's salary. It is the most tired trope, I swear, in all of Twitter. I'll, I, I, you guys don't have to add. Well, okay, go ahead, Kirk. Well, I do want to add one thing about the money. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this because it's a big part of our rankings here. It's not your money. Right. Why do you really care? I do not know. I have never been able to figure that out. I've made I've that never, exact that, same that point. That has always baffled me. And, like, here's another thing. Do you really want to underpay a coach? Is are you? Is this really where you want to get a bargain? No, you want to pay as you want to pay the going rate and then some to try to get a good coach. If it doesn't work out, okay, it doesn't work out. And I would even go so far as to say, you know, Gary Barta got destroyed for extending him for the for the contract that he did. I think it was like four years ago or so. Does that contract look so bad right now uh, where we see the salaries, you know, going exponentially up? Like as of right now, he has locked Kirk Ferentz into a good deal for for a contract. I think the only reason that that contract got bashed well probably not the only reason but a big factor in that was it was weeks after he signed it or maybe even just a week after he signed it they lost to north dakota state so i think that there was i think that there was some recency bias with him signing that big deal losing to north dakota state and then everybody just being like oh boy i was gonna get whatever many more years of this Uh uh-oh jeff may need some recovery time yeah this is the first time i have ever regretted inviting dustin shooty onto the podcast he brought up the game that shall not be spoken i i'm honestly i I might need a minute here i don't know i don't know how to okay all right number three wisconsin's own paul crest this is a tough one too because i call him mr warmth and i mean that you know not in a loving way He, he has no personality which, okay, it doesn't matter if you're winning football games. He wins football games. I, I, he's obviously a good head coach, and he deserves to be number three. Um, I had him ranked at number three, so it's right right in the, the, the wheelhouse there. But for some reason, that I, I, it just doesn't – he doesn't jump off the screen at you, like, as a great coach, but yet he wins football games. And part of that is just because it's Wisconsin. They're, he's on a – a fully loaded locomotive heading downhill and he didn't build it. It's grandpa Barry's program, but he's winning games. So you, you have to rank him high. I don't know. This one, maybe I'm more torn on this one than any of them. It's because he has no personality. I, I believe that. And you have uh, captain quarter zip, the, the moniker there for PJ Fleck. Maybe we should go with commander crew neck for Paul Christ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I, I, I <laughs> need to break the show with us. That was a bad, good joke on our theme with our movies. Yeah, keeping the keeping the theme going. But I agree with Kurt. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to judge. You look back at Pitt, and he was a 500 coach. Like I think he was six and seven, seven and six every year, and then he comes to Wisconsin, and he's hitting ten wins every year, every other year. So it's really hard. What's going to be interesting now is without Barry. Alvarez in that athletic director role and, and I mean he's still going to be hands-on let's let's not get out of get out of control here but 
it's going to be interesting with him not around as much um, to see what Wisconsin team looks like. Um, it's it's tough. I think he's number two because they hit 10 wins because you know every year they're going to be the favorite in the West, and he's been to three Big Ten championship games, and he's been close on most of those. He's been close. He just can't get over the hurdle. Um, really good coach, just no personality, so nobody thinks about him. Yeah, I mean, I think the no personality thing, I think if you asked his assistant coaches and players, I think they see more of his personality behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, you guys are doing a good job of laying this all out. Um, I, I had thought about, I'd listened to a different podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about how, you know, he was basically a 500 coach at Pitt. Then he comes to Wisconsin, he gets Wisconsinized. So like that brought him down in my mind. But on top of that, Dustin just brought out good points. Not only are they consistently at the top of the Big Ten West, they do a good job of challenging the other big boys in the conference. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously there was the, you know, the the blowout back in 2014 with the national championship, Ohio State. But other than that, they typically go toe to toe with everybody in the conference. That is preparation and X's and O's of which Paul Chris deserves a lot of that credit. I mean, quite honestly, uh, Paul Christ. Kirk Ferentz and James Franklin, I think we could flip-flop them and move them all around. I don't think any fan base should really be that upset about it if that was the case. Again, it's more of a compliment on how good the coaching is in in this conference. And, of course, um, in his uh, no-frills type of thing, he is the 10th highest coach in the Big Ten and the third highest ranked, 4.25 million. That is a plus seven in in the uh scoring structure he is the best deal by a coach in the big 10 again everything that barry touches turns to gold it's just a rule all right our number two coach in the big 10 you'll obviously know who number one is right after i list him off is northwestern's pat fitzgerald i knew kurt was going to have the reaction he's having right now so you go ahead and go shame on the both of you how dare you you're, you're just bringing this upon yourself. You're asking for it. So I'm trying to come up with a good moniker for this gentleman whose name I won't say. The best I can come up with is the devil's henchman. He, he's working for the devil, clearly sold his soul, the, that, which is why, I mean, how can you compete with the devil? His boss is a very powerful man, the Prince of Darkness. Um, this guy, to me, just gets the most out of his program, I think he gets the most of any coach in the country out of his program. And I saw something recently, oh boy, I wish I would have saved it, that over the last, I think it was 10 years, out of the 65 Power 5 programs, Northwestern has the 65th ranked average recruiting class. Boy. I mean, I, obviously we know who number one is going to be. You're supposed to be good when you're at Ohio State. You're not supposed to be good when you're at Northwestern. For me, clear-cut number one coach in the conference is the devil's henchman himself. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. The thing, There was another statistic out there, and I wish I would have saved this, but it was they, they listed all the NFL draft picks that each Big Ten team has had. Northwestern, I think, was like 12th or 13th. They had like six or eight draft picks. It was a really low number. And then you think they've gone to two Big Ten championship games, and they were fairly competitive in both of those games with guys who aren't going to the NFL. Uh, he develops these two- and three-star guys, much like Kirk Ferentz. 
I mean, this is this is a team. You guys talk about this all the time. Every year, you're like, Northwestern's going to be a win. Northwestern's going to be a win. And then somehow you're going to get beat 20 to 16, and it's going to be the ugliest game you watch. But it, it just it speaks to how good of a coach he is. He gets the most out of his players. The recruiting is like everybody talks about, or they're starting to recently talk about how poorly Northwestern is recruiting. And I'm like, that's not an issue. If they're in the top 50, you better start watching out because typically they're in that 50 to 55 range. If they can crack the top 45, I mean, college football playoff. But he's what he's done, this is the best. I'm going to go on a little bit of a, of a filibuster here. I think Fitzgerald doesn't get a lot of credit. I know he was a top 10 coach based on CBS sports, but I'm not sure Pat Fitzgerald could do what Nick Saban's doing at Alabama, but I can guarantee you Nick Saban would not be able to do what Pat Fitzgerald does at Northwestern. In my opinion, there's no way because you look at Nick Saban at Michigan state. He was okay. He had a few good seats. He had one big season. Then he goes down to LSU and Alabama where it's easier to recruit. He wins national championships. Pat Fitzgerald's like, you, you just played one season. Okay. We'll, we'll turn you into an all American linebacker. So he hasn't won the big one. I think that a big 10 championship game or a big 10 championship is coming before he retires. I just can't say enough. I can't, you can't put him at number one because obviously the number one guy here is really, really good. But I, I just love watching Northwestern play, even though it's old school, big 10 football. Um, there's not a lot of flash there. You always are curious what's going to happen on the offensive side, but you know you're going to be in for a defensive battle every time you strap it up against Northwestern. Now, I wish this was recorded video so that uh, our viewers could see this, but Dustin, do you want to admit to my co-host where you had Fitzgerald ranked? (laughs) I do. I have him at number four. I had James Franklin at number three and Paul Christ at number two. I think Kurt was... Kurt was just looking around to see if Zombie Fitz was going to crash through his door and, and just strangle him right right then and there. But, yeah. Um, not much more to add, especially after the uh, filibuster that DS just put on. I- I'll say this. I want to make sure it's known. Um, I also had him second. I obviously think he's a good coach. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about him because it's Pat Fitzgerald. But I don't want to say anything good about him because it's Pat Fitzgerald. So I'm just going to stop right there. Um, he is the fourth highest paid coach in the big 10 that might surprise people at 5.2 schmill. So that is a very good plus two ranking in our scoring system. So that leaves obviously the number one ranked coach in the big 10 Ohio state's Ryan day. Oh, right. Ryan day. (laughs) I, you, sorry, you threw me off because I just call him the Quav. Right. Because I love that head of lettuce that he's got. So, yeah, number one, Ryan Day. All right. The only reason I don't rank him number one is because it is Ohio State. You're supposed to be good. Now, with that said, I didn't think it was possible to get better than Urban Meyer. But he he honestly is better than Urban Meyer. And I got to say, even though they get the best recruits in the country, or, or it's certainly in the in the Big Ten, somehow they are great at scouting, and somehow they are great at developing. It it's just amazes me that they are so far ahead of a program like Michigan, 
or even a Penn State when it comes to talent. And a lot of that just has to do with uh, knowing who the best recruits are and recruiting to your system. So I do admire what the Quaff does there. I just think, I, I, I guess I penalize them because it is Ohio State. You're supposed to be good. I'm not ready to go off on the limb and say he's better than Urban Meyer just yet. Not quite ready because it's been two seasons, two full seasons, but not losing a Big Ten game and getting the back-to-back college football playoff and a national championship is pretty damn impressive. The thing that sticks out to me about Ryan Day, and the thing a lot of people are talking about heading into this 2021 season is, well, let's see what Ryan Day does with a new quarterback that's not named Justin Fields. But in 2018, he had Dwayne Haskins, a first-time starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy finalist. 2019, he has Justin Fields, first-time starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy finalist. I'm not saying C.J. Stroud, who I think is going to win the starting job, is going to be a Heisman finalist this year, but I'm telling you I'm not going to worry about the quarterback position, especially with that embarrassment of riches Ohio State has at the wide receiver position. To me, the only I can understand not having Ryan Day at number one, but I don't have anything to knock him for other than he just hasn't been there long enough. So I'm keeping him at number one until somebody dethrones him. This is going to be, I think 2021 is going to be his toughest challenge as a head coach. But I to me he's more he's a great delegator. It is what it seems like to me. I think Urban Meyer was a little bit more of a micromanager, and I don't mean that. I think he was a great football coach, but he seemed to have a little bit more handle on things. I think Ryan Day, is he's going to let his guys do their thing, and I'm going to coach the offense and, and coach the quarterback position because this is going to be the most important thing we need to do. So pair of Big Ten championships, two Heisman Trophy finalists to his name, two college football playoff appearances. You just can't knock the guy for anything, so he has to be number one. Great job, Dustin. You took pretty much all the talking points I had. Um, I'm glad that I'm not uh, out on the limb by myself and that you're with me, that I'm not I'm not yet ready to uh, anoint him as good or better than Urban Meyer. I mean, Urban Meyer won a national title at Ohio State. He won two at Florida. Um, I'm not going to say the offense and certain things don't look better. Um, but I believe there was, you know, I mean, obviously Urban left it in good shape. And then uh, uh, the Quaff is a talented person to take it a step higher. And he did that. And then every other thing you just laid out. I mean, beating Clemson was a huge step last year. I mean, that that was gigantic. That showed that he can win a big game and outcoach a big time staff in Clemson. I mean, that that is, I, I feel like, something that isn't talked about enough, getting getting that win against that staff. So as an Ohio State fan, you should have confidence in going forward with him. And then, yeah, obviously with the hair, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to like that guy. And by the way, that hair and cute face hides behind that is an assassin. I feel that he is an assassin. And, and I think it's something that Ohio State fans absolutely love. He is the Third highest paid coach in the Big Ten at $5.7 million. So he is also a plus two in the rankings. And that concludes our rankings, guys. I think that was pretty darn fun. Um, our listeners are going to have to be near a strong uh, internet connection to download this monster that we just recorded. But I, I hope everybody has as much fun listening to it as we did recording it. Yeah, always great to have Dustin on the show. I, I look forward to it um, every year and always one of my favorite episodes, if not favorite episode of the year. 
Um, I was talking to my mom a couple weeks ago, Dustin, Mrs. Greek. Obviously, that's not really our name. It's a joke. But she said she listens to the podcast, um, listens to it when my mom and dad go on walks. And she's like, who is that nice boy you have on sometimes that he's not he's not Kirk. He's the nice boy. And I'm like. You mean Dustin Dustin Shooty with Saturday Church? Yes, I like him. Have him on more. I I just he seems so great. He's just so much fun. So I wanted to make sure you you knew that. Well, you can tell she doesn't know me personally or follow me on Twitter because she would probably change her mind on that in, in a big hurry. But I do appreciate the compliment and I love your guys' podcast. This is a show that if it comes out at 11.59 p.m. and I'm not in bed, I'm listening. I'm up till 2 a.m. listening to the podcast. It's great. I love doing this show. I love being a part of it. You guys do a great job. I don't have to, you know, everybody listening to this knows it. Um, so it's a lot of fun, and I always appreciate being on here. Thank you so much. All right, Dustin, you good? Kurt, you I'm good? good? I think I'm good. I'm just still trying to get over you guys dissing the devil's henchman like that. I had him second. I had him I mean, second to a coach that just won a college football playoff game. You're playing with fire, literal fire. We're going to have the Irishman come in here. I'm going to get shot in the head in the middle of the night for having Fitz and too low at number four. Zombie Fitz. He, he doesn't feed off brains. He feeds off low expectations. That's how he goes. I, I listened to that, uh, that Huskers, what the, uh, the Husker fan podcast or whatever football it is. Yep. Yeah. And uh, when you when he asked you what question you would ask, and you're like, when did Fitzy die? When <laughs> I, I about drove off the road into the forest. When, when did he sell his soul? Was it at the crossroads? Was it with, yeah. with uh, Robert, Robert Johnson? Was he next to him at Highway 61 down in the Mississippi Delta? That's my question. I'm, I'm guessing I was the only one who got that reference. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I think I... Yeah, it, it's pretty savvy reference, but I, I think I think our listeners are pretty smart. Well, you do you do mention it a bit, so. <laughs> All right, I am uh, I am Jeffrey the Greek, and I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you soon.